All right, let's turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John, we're going to look at verses 9 through 11 today. Major theme, obviously, is light. Beginning in chapter 1, going on over into chapter 2, one of the major themes. Let's read these verses. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother, uh-oh, is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's pray. Father, uh, what a great book, this book of 1 John. Not surprising that the Apostle John has a lot of deep stuff to say. Lord, this is the meat of the word. And we thank you for it. We recognize it requires careful digging in, chewing it up properly, swallowing it, digesting it. It's like a good piece of beef or whatever your preference is. But this is the meat. We ask you just to help us to take it in, process it, allow it to work its way into our hearts and minds and really make an impact, have an impact in the way we think, the way we live. What we believe, Lord, we want, just like the song we sang, we want to walk like Jesus walks, talk like Jesus talks, pray like Jesus prays, see what Jesus sees, hear what Jesus hears. We want to be like Jesus in every way. Bless this study, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, verse 9. He who says he is in the light, or as uh, one translation says, claims. I like that word, he who claims. It's one thing to be something. You can claim to be something, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's what you are. And boy, have we seen that graphically illustrated in our world today, huh? You have Rachel Dolezal, the blonde, freckled lady from the Midwest who became a black woman by dyeing her hair and going to a tanning salon and actually became a leader of one of the local chapters of the NAACP. How many of you have heard of Rachel Dolezal? Yep. Poor Rachel, I guess everybody's heard about her now. And she's not with the NAACP anymore, I'll tell you that. But we live in a day and age where a lot of people are claiming to be a lot of different things that they really aren't. Isn't that true? And by the way, that includes people who identify. Remember I coined this phrase not too long ago? Those who identify as Christians. He who claims he is in the light. Now we've seen... Uh, leading up to this verse, in verse 4, he who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar. Now, John's the apostle of love. So, these are not the words of Peter or Paul. This is the guy who is known for love. Remember, every Sunday they carry him up in his old age, he's in his 90s. John, give us a word, little children love one another. And yet, this apostle of love makes no bones about fruit, evidence. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. That's rude, John. That's mean. You've invaded my safe space. I need hot chocolate and a puppy. And I need it right now. He says... That person is a liar. The truth is not in him. 
John's not trying to be mean. He's just speaking the truth. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, by the way. Verse 6, he who says or claims he abides in him, lives in him, in Christ, ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Hence that song we sang today. And then here in verse 9, he who says he's in the light, he who claims to be in the light. What does it mean to be in the light? It means to be enlightened by the truth of God's word and by the one who is the truth, Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the light. life. If you've been enlightened, that means Jesus has come to live inside of you. You've been born again. And you are now taking in the word of God that your enlightenment may continue and grow. So as I just stated, in order for this enlightenment to take place, we must be born again by the Spirit of God. And again, there are many different human perspectives on enlightenment, the New Age and all the various false religions. True enlightenment only comes when he who is the light comes to live inside of you. Psalms 56, 13. For you have delivered my soul from death. How many of you here today can say that? God has delivered my soul from death. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. When you're blind, you're definitely walking in darkness, are you not? You've delivered my soul from death. Have you not kept my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? What's the answer? Yes, you have. You've kept my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living. And by the way, the living are those, who, again, who've been born again by the Spirit of God. When the Bible talks about life and living, it's not talking about biology. That goes without saying. Any organism has biological life within it, right? Animal, vegetable, not mineral. <laughs> Plant life, animal life, human beings. There's life. There's DNA in all those things, isn't there? But life only comes to those who invite the Son of God to live inside of them. We confess our sins. We repent. We're born again by the Spirit of God. Walking in the light of the living. And for all of you who are born again today, and I suspect that's the majority, but I don't want to presume or assume in case there's somebody here who has not been born again or somebody watching on this live stream. Jesus said you must be born again. I remember back in the 80s when Jimmy Carter came on the scene. Was it, I guess, late 70s? At any rate, Carter made a big deal out of being a born-again Christian, and he made that very clear in his Playboy magazine interview. <laughs> How many of you remember that? That he was born again. I was so excited. I was a young believer, the gullible, naive, and so forth. And maybe Jimmy really knows the Lord. I don't know. But I remember that term born again really came to the forefront during that time when Jimmy Carter was running for office. And so then there became a, a great controversy within the church. Some people were identifying as born again. Others were saying, well, I am a Christian or I am religious or whatever, but I'm not one of those born againers. Like being a born againer makes you a weirdo or a, you know, Jesus freak. But 
Those people were sadly misinformed and uninformed because there's only one kind of Christian, one kind of believer, one kind of disciple of Christ, and that's the kind that's born again. Of course, like everything else from the Word of God, people took it, twisted it, ruined it. Talk about, you know, I'm a born-again atheist or I'm a born-again lesbian or homosexual or whatever. Took that beautiful, glorious, wonderful spiritual term and trashed it. But it doesn't change the fact that the only path to true enlightenment is to be born again by the Spirit of God. Psalm 89.15 Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. We had a joyful sound here this morning, didn't we? And it was fun. I love it. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. We talked about this recently. Remember how Moses went up to meet God on Mount Sinai and he came down glowing? And when you and I get our immortal, eternal, glorified, imperishable, incorruptible bodies, we're going to be glowing too, baby. Just like Jesus glowed on the Mount of Transfiguration. We are the children of the light. And by the way, Satan masquerades as an angel of light. So we need to walk in the light as he is in the light, so when the false light comes, we recognize it. Isaiah 2.5, O house of Jacob. And by the way, we are grafted in. We're part of the house of Jacob now too. O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. To do anything else is to walk in darkness. Finally, 1 John 1, 6 and 7. We read this a few weeks ago in the beginning of our series here on 1 John. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. There's that word again, that mean, judgmental word. We lie and do not practice the truth. The only reason people would find this offensive is because they don't believe in truth. The word lie makes you cringe. That means you've got a problem with the truth. We lie and do not practice the truth, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. This gives you some little hint at why Christians are always bickering and fighting. They shouldn't be. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. Again, after that, 1 John 1, 9, one of my favorite verses, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's the only way we can ever hope to walk in the light as he is in the light. We have to practice consistently, day in and day out, I think, confessing our sins before God, repenting, and thanking Him for the fact that He is willing to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, last week, I believe we looked at this verse from 1 John 2, 6. Whoever claims to live in Him must walk as Jesus did. Jesus did not go around hating people. Now, He did have some strong words for those who were hypocrites, but again, everything he did and said was completely justified. He did not hate. But he did call people out when they were less than truthful, less than honest. But who hates his brother 
is in darkness until now, or one translation says, still in the darkness. He who claims he's in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. They haven't come out of the darkness into the light. They've not been enlightened. You see, it's not possible to walk as Jesus did and hate your brother at the same time. It doesn't work. Can't do it. Now, I think we all know as believers we're to love everyone. Luke 6, 27, Jesus says, I say to you who hear, in other words, those of you who have ears to hear, those who have your spiritual eyes open, your spiritual ears open, I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. It's a pretty tall challenge. Again, only with God's help can we aspire to this level of agape love, unconditional love. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. However, this is very important. If we can't even love our brothers and sisters in Christ, and that's the theme here in 1 John, he who claims he is in the light and hates his brother. This is talking about spiritual brothers and sisters. Again, we've already seen in the broader sense that we are called as believers to love everyone. But specifically here, John is talking about our relationships within the body of Christ. And if we can't even love our brothers and sisters in Christ... Here's a question we could ask ourselves. Is it even remotely possible that we could truly love our enemies if we can't even love our brothers and sisters in Christ? Galatians 6.10, Paul writes, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. But then he goes on to say, especially to those who are of the household of faith. What does that tell us? Paul sees that our first priority is to treat our brothers and sisters in Christ properly. In a general sense, as we have opportunity, as we go through life on a day-to-day -day basis, let us do good to all. If you have an opportunity to help someone out, help them, whether it's with money or food or transportation or a coat or what have you. Help them out. Show them the love of God practically by our actions. But then he says, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So our first and highest priority, just as even I said earlier, prior to the beginning of the message, my first priority is to feed the sheep. That's the primary role and responsibility of the pastor, pastor-teacher, Ephesians chapter 4. To feed the sheep, to equip the saints. Our first and highest priority as the body of Christ is not to the lost. Because our works, our ministry, our efforts to reach the lost should be an outgrowth of our relationship with one another. Our first and highest priority is to our own spiritual family. You think, well, what about my biological family? Well, of course, and I guess you could say that goes without saying, but again, many times our biological families may not necessarily be on the same page spiritually that we are. And so this might rub you the wrong way, but I'm going to tell you right now, if you have family members that don't know the Lord, then these people in this room are more your family than they are. And a lot of people struggle with that. And a lot of people never progress in their walk with Christ because they're putting biological family over spiritual family. Now, I'm not talking about some cult-type situation 
where you shun. I know groups that do that. I've had family members involved in groups that do that. I'm not advocating that whatsoever. And obviously, those unsaved members of our family, we want to show them the love of God, do we not? But what if you have a family member, they're not a believer, and they're an ardent proponent of abortion? Is that person going to take preeminence in your life over a brother and sister in Christ who believes like you do that that's murder? Are you following me here? I've seen hordes of people pulled away from God or hindered in their relationship with God because they put unsaved biological family members ahead of God and ahead of the body of Christ. Jesus says, if you don't love me more than your father, your mother, your sister, your brother, you're not worthy of the kingdom of God. He said, I came to set father against son, mother against daughter. And again, he didn't mean that in a cultish way. He meant that in the sense that if your mother, your father, your sister, your brother hates God, then these people right here are more your father, mother, sister, and brother than they are. Are you following me? I know that's a hard saying, but in case you haven't checked recently, Jesus had a lot of hard sayings. John has some hard sayings right here in 1 John, does he not? Because he's telling you, if you don't love your brother and you claim to be a follower of Christ, you're a liar. I didn't say it, he did. Don't get mad at me. You can get mad at John, but I don't think you're going to win that argument. I told you this was the meat. Sometimes it gets caught between your teeth. 1 Peter 4.8, Peter confirms in a little bit different way, but he's confirming the same thing that John is telling us. Above all things, have fervent love for one another. Above all the pettiness, above all the little arguments and issues and things that we have, above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. We all sin every day, I believe. If you don't, I'm amazed. But what he means by covering over a multitude of sins, because we all do, all do sin every day. We all have flaws. We all have failings and shortcomings and quirks. There's no benefit in going around constantly judging one another and criticizing one another. If we will simply love one another, it will cover over those things. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict us of sin. It's our job to cover them over. Are you following me? Now again, there are some obvious, blatant sins. We're going to talk about them in a moment. And we're not to cover those over, but we, even in those situations, we're to win one another over in love, speak the truth to one another in love. Again, in Ephesians chapter 4, we're to carry one another's burdens, reach out to one another if we see a brother or sister that's headed in the wrong direction. But above all, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. So now John tells us that this person who claims to be walking in the light and yet hates his brother is still in the darkness. Now, it's difficult to interpret this any other way than 
that person who hates his brother is not a true believer. This person is seriously deceived and has mistaken religion for relationship. Religion is all about man's efforts to reach God through our own good works. And you could hardly say hating your brother is a good work. And that's where the deception comes in. That's where that pharisaical legalistic attitude comes in. But relationship is when God reached out to man by sending his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. And as we accept the price paid by Christ on the cross of Calvary, when we accept that his blood paid the price for our sins, we confess our sins, we repent, we're born again by the Spirit of God, we have entered into a relationship with God, which is what he had in mind all along. Religion does not equate to a relationship with God. So it's possible to be extremely religious and still be in the darkness. Now, I want to throw out another option here. I do think it's difficult to interpret this any other way than that the person who hates his brother is not a true believer, but none of us are perfect. Not as an excuse, just as a statement of fact. The other option would be that this person is a believer, but this person is not practicing the disciplines of the Christian faith. Those things that we need to do to remain in the light. Prayer. Communication with God. Individually. Corporately. Our ladies Bible study groups pray. Our men's prayer group on Tuesday nights. We pray together. I'd like to see more of you men out there for that. It's really an important part of this church. The men's prayer meeting really undergirds this church. And the ladies as well. Prayer. Bible study, both corporately, like we're doing here today. Women's Bible study, men's breakfast, and so forth. Koinonia groups. These are all aspects of the disciplines of the Christian life that keep us in the light. Prayer, Bible study, fellowship, as we've already talked about, the relationship we have in the body of Christ. Worship. Again, both corporately like we've had today and individually. So let's say, let's give this person the benefit of the doubt. John says he's a liar. He's still in darkness. The most obvious interpretation would be that he's not a true believer. But let's give him the benefit of a doubt for a moment and say, well, they are a believer, but they're not practicing the disciplines of the Christian faith. And some people think that getting saved is like a magic wand that God waves over you and sprinkles you with his heavenly fairy dust. And from that moment on, everything's perfect. And you don't have to do anything. What did I just say in the opening remarks before the message about God gave the children of Israel the land of Canaan. Now all you have to do is go in there and fight and get cut and bleed and die to take the gift I've given you. You see? Salvation, I've said this before many times, salvation is a free gift. Is it not? Can you ever possibly earn it? Can you buy it? Can you sell it? It's a free gift. It's given by grace through faith. Salvation costs you nothing. Jesus paid the price. But being a disciple of Christ will cost you everything. Just ask the apostles who all laid down their lives for Christ. 
who left everything to follow Jesus. Peter even said that to Jesus. Lord, it's when uh, Jesus tells him it's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the prevailing mentality among the Jewish people and among many people today even, even those in the church, is if God, if you're really wealthy, then God loves you. The Bible says just the opposite. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I mean, there's so many scriptures about God's love for the poor. And it's much easier to love God when you have nothing. We don't like having nothing, but the less we have, the more God has of us is usually how it works. The disciples were shocked when Jesus said that. So Peter says, well, Lord, man, if that's the case, who, how can anybody even get saved? If, if it's harder for a rich man to fit through the, uh, a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, we thought the rich guys were the ones that God really liked and he just blessed their socks off. Hallelujah, amen, glory. So, Lord, how, how can anybody even get saved if it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God than for a camel to fit through the eye of the needle? And Jesus said, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. So if we give this person the benefit of the doubt, we say they're a believer, but they're not practicing the disciplines of the Christian faith. And again, it's not a legalistic works mentality but it's it's a desire to know god to love god to please god to serve god and so we do the things that we need to do to stay in that place that we should be with him to walk in the light as he is in the light prayer bible study fellowship worship just like any other area of our lives you can't be good at anything without effort am i wrong how can we expect to be good at being Christians if we put forth no effort? It's, it's ridiculous. All right, let's move on to verse 10. So we would say that that person has drifted back into the darkness. And it can happen. You can be born again. You can be forgiven. You can be filled with the Spirit. You can receive the precious gift of eternal life. But it's kind of like if you let the batteries in your flashlight die and you go to turn it on and there's no light, right? We need to be recharging our batteries, as it were, constantly. Verse 10, he who loves his brother abides in the light. We all know the word abide means to live, right? He who loves his brother lives in the light. How do we know? Because he loves his brother. John's making the same statement, this time from the other side of the coin. Just as the one who hates his brother cannot possibly be in the light, the one who loves his Christian brother or sister is walking as Jesus walked and is therefore putting forth evidence, fruit if you will, that he or she is truly enlightened. Born again. And there is no cause for stumbling in him. In other words, if you love your brother or sister, you won't knowingly, willingly do anything that might cause them to stumble in their faith. 
Well, that's their problem, man. I'm all good. Our Christian brotherly love is expressed not only by what we do, also by what we don't do. I'm going to read kind of a lengthy passage here from Romans 14, beginning in verse 13. Paul says, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. And of course, this was a big issue with the early church, the Gentile believers, the Jewish believers. Do we have to eat kosher? Do we not? And so forth. We know that God gave Peter the vision with the unclean animals and clean animals. And he's staying at the house of Simon the Tanner. Tanners uh, were unclean. That profession was considered unclean. He's there at his house. He's hanging out on the roof, taking a nap, waiting for lunch. God gives him that vision. We know that Paul criticized Peter because Peter, when he was with the Gentiles, he would act like a Gentile. When he was with the Jews, he'd act like a Jew. And Paul was offended by that hypocrisy. Just be yourself. Be who you are. Nothing is unclean of itself. And again, that doesn't mean that we can do sinful things and be clean. It just means that these disputable matters. There's a term called disputable matters. For example, I've known groups of believers that were very adamantly against Christians watching TV whatsoever. And yet they would all go out every Friday night to the movies. See, that's how legalism works. That's what a Pharisee looks like. They'll judge your socks off if you watch a TV show and they'll go out on Friday night to the picture theater. See how legalism works? Disputable matters. I know there, you know, there are a lot of things that certain people believe, you're going to hell, brother. Well, actually, God is the one who decides that, not you. There's some non-disputable matters. We'll look at those in a moment. Paul says nothing is unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it's unclean. So if you are convicted about something that we would call a disputable matter, watching TV, going to a movie, whatever it might be. If you're convicted and you do it anyway, then it's sin. It's unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, and again, they had the issue with meat sacrificed to idols, remember? And, and Corinth and these various pagan communities, when they were offering up offerings to idols, and then they would sell the meat in the marketplace. And again, some would go ahead and feel comfortable buying it, eating it. Others would not. You're no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, and this, some of this might not sound too relevant to us today, but I'll show you in a minute how it is. I don't think we have any idol meat down at the Albertsons, but we'll, we'll show how this is relevant. Therefore, do not let your, your good be spoken of as evil. In other words, if it's a disputable matter, if it's not something clearly lined out in the Bible, thou shalt not. And you go, well, you know what? I, I feel okay with it. I'm not convicted about this. Don't let your good be spoken of of evil by doing it with or in front of someone that considers it to be evil. Are you following me? For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, I love this verse, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. The one who serves Christ in these things, in other words, being sensitive, being observant, being aware, not consciously doing anything to stumble your brother or sister in Christ. 
Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Again, that requires selflessness, doesn't it? That requires putting others before yourself, which is what we're supposed to do as believers. This is part of loving your brother or your sister. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, again, unless they're specifically stated as not being pure in God's word, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. Either you're offended by what somebody has put before you, or you're doing it knowing full well that it offends them. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Notice he says, nor do anything. So he's just using two examples here with food, with wine, with what you drink and eat. Do you have faith, he says in verse 22? Have it to yourself before God. In other words, I have the faith to do this, but I realize others may not approve or agree. Therefore, this is something I will do in the privacy of my own home or whatever. Again, I mean, that still keeps it within a fairly narrow framework. You can't, as a believer, say, well, hey, I have the faith to watch pornography. That doesn't fly. Do you understand? But there are other things, like watching TV, like, you know, a good friend of mine just called me up. A believer says, hey, man, my wife and I just started watching that Breaking Bad series. They even actually filmed a couple episodes here at the, early on. I don't know if I should have said that. <laughs> they paid us. <laughs> well, I'd never watched it, and it during the entire time that was on. I mean, I knew the major theme that this guy was a teacher, his wife got cancer, he became a drug dealer, blah, blah, blah. I never watched the show. So we don't ever, hardly ever watch network TV at all, watch news, watch movies, videos. Anyway, my wife decided it was on Netflix. So I'm gonna, I think I'm going to watch Breaking Bad, see what it's like. I think she got through how many, one episode or two episodes? She said, no, I'm not watching this. <laughs> it just didn't, it's, it stumbled her. But here's the deal. Maybe you watched the whole thing. How many years was that thing on? Long time. I'm not going to judge you for having watched it, but I never watched it. And for my wife, she tried it and said, no, I'm not going there. Are you following me how this works? But I'm not going to judge you if you watch Breaking Bad. So I tell my buddy, well, I'll, that's, yeah, Georgie watched like one or two episodes, and she said, no, no, this is over the top. I'm not going to watch this. So I just gave him a little warning. But I didn't tell him not to watch it. He said, well, my, my girls, his daughters, which they're, they're Christians, supposedly, they said, Dad, this is a really good show. You should watch it. So anyway, that's just an example. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. So don't come up to, to me afterwards and say, I watched Breaking Bad, mammy, mammy, boo, boo. <laughs> but even if you did, I wouldn't be offended, okay? You know what? It's a really good thing to not be easily offended. Do you know God wants us to not be easily offended? And yet so many Christians are easily offended. Get over it. All that tells me is you're full of yourself. I'm sorry. Maybe I probably just hurt somebody's feelings. But if you're easily offended, you are full of yourself. Get over it. Man. Above all, offend one another. No, above all, love one another fervently. 
Whew. I don't know what just happened there, but I... <laughs> Sorry. I, please forgive me. I'm not trying to offend anyone. <laughs> okay? I'm really not. I'm really not. But in this passage, okay, so he who doubts is condemned if he eats. Well, probably shouldn't really eat that. Uh-oh, I'm in trouble now. Sometimes I doubt when I eat a donut. Don't hold me to that. Because he who does not eat from faith, for whatever is not from faith is sin. So again, if we do something knowing that we've got a check from the Holy Spirit, God's saying, eh, I don't think you should go there. And again, you have the Holy Spirit living in you if you're a born-again believer. You have discernment. God speaks to you, does he not? But don't we often choose to kind of ignore it? Oh, that wasn't the Lord. Now, that was just my own thoughts. But if there's a check, don't go there. Because if you do, it's sin. Whatever is not from faith is sin. And so if there's a doubt in your own mind that this particular activity or action might cause someone else to stumble, then you don't do it. At least not in front of them. See, in this passage, Paul uses the examples of eating and drinking, kosher, not kosher, meat sacrificed to idols or not sacrificed to idols. Uh, remember the Jewish way of slaughtering uh, animals is to drain the blood. They would slit the throat of the cow, hang it upside down, let the blood drain out because the Old Testament says the life is in the blood. They can't have any blood in their meat. Meat sacrificed to idols or not, wine or no wine, but these are just two examples of things that we might find acceptable while others may not. And the point is, our brothers and sisters in Christ should be more important to us than our own personal liberties. The negotiables or the disputables. The negotiable matters, the disputable matters. But it goes without saying, or at least it should, that there are certain practices a Christian should never engage in. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not deceive neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals. I know that's treading on some dangerous ground here today, but it's in the Bible. And I accept every word in God's word. Nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves. You see, there's other sins here besides homosexuality and sodomy. They're all unacceptable to God. Thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. I suspect within this room there's a little bit of all of this. But notice, this is so important. Such were some of you. Past tense. When we're walking in the light as he is in the light, we don't fornicate. We don't adulterate. We don't do any of these things when we're walking in the light as he is in the light. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were cleansed from the filth of your sins. You were sanctified. That means you're set apart unto God for his holy purposes. That's what sanctified means. Think about that. God chose you. He sanctified you. He set you apart. You're now one of mine. I'm going to use you to glorify me. 
but you were justified, just as if I'd never sinned. How awesome is that? Justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. In this list, you see the non-negotiables, the non-disputables. That's why it goes without saying, John doesn't address these things because these shouldn't even enter into the thoughts or hearts of a believer. But Paul talks about these disputable matters. Don't stumble your brother just for the sake of your own liberty in Christ. Let me read this uh, uh, little quote from Albert Barnes, one of my favorite Bible commentators. Because we're talking here about stumbling blocks. Don't stumble your brother. If you love him, you won't stumble him. Barnes says a stumbling block literally means anything laid in a man's path over which he may fail. In the scriptures, however, the word is used commonly in a figurative sense to denote anything which shall cause him to sin, as sin is often represented by falling. And the passage means that we should resolve to act, as, to act so as not by any means to be the occasion of leading our brethren into sin, either by our example or by a severe and harsh judgment, provoking them to anger or exciting jealousies and envyings and suspicions. No better rule than this could be given to promote peace. If every Christian, instead of judging his brethren severely, would resolve that he would so live as to promote peace, and so as not to lead others into sin, it would tend more perhaps than any other thing to advance the harmony and purity of the church of Christ. So there's your definition or your explanation from Albert Barnes of a stumbling block. Verse 11, he who hates his brother is in darkness. So this is a restatement of verse 9, and John's repetitive style in this letter reminds us of Paul in Romans. It's obvious in both cases, with John and Paul, that these two great apostles view their subject matter as being of the utmost importance to the reader. So we see John kind of reiterating things through this passage, saying it in several different ways, trying to make sure that it really sinks in. He who hates his brother is in darkness. And being in darkness, especially spiritually, is an extremely serious problem, is it not? Because our spiritual lives are all about being in the light, walking in the light as he is in the light. If we're in darkness, we're in trouble. He hates his brother is in darkness and walks around in darkness. So again, we see this analogy of our lives being a walk. We are to walk as Jesus walked. And when you hate your brother, you're in the darkness, you're walking around in the darkness. You know, and so, so many times as believers, individually and churches, put high priorities on a lot of the works and services that we perform. But we can easily see here from John's teaching in this passage that all that stuff is meaningless. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 13. If I have not love, you know, I could have faith to move mountains and so forth. If I have not love, it's just a bunch of noise. Walking around in the darkness is very dangerous. It can lead to serious injury or even death, right? Carry that over into the spiritual side of things. And does not know where he's going. Of all the people on this planet, we as believers should know exactly where we're going. We're going to be with him, right? This life is just a journey in preparation for the eternal. Any Christian who says they don't know where they're going, again, I would propose to you they're not walking in the light. 
They're not practicing the disciplines of the Christian faith. If you're confused, if you're lost, you're off track. Your focus is in the wrong place. Because if you're walking in the light as he is in the light, you will have no doubt about where you're going, where you're headed. But this person, this person who's in the darkness, the one who hates their brother, does not know where he's going. Sadly, though this person claims to be a brother, his actions speak otherwise. All indicators are that he is lost in the darkness and is aimless without direction in life. You hear me quote this verse all the time, Psalms 119.105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light into my path. What does that tell you if we don't have the word? We're in darkness. You can have all the warm, fuzzy feelings in the world. But if you're not in the Word, you're in darkness because God's Word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. 1 John 2, 3 through 6. Now by this we know that we know Him. So I'm recapping here. If we keep His commandments, he who says I know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His Word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we're in Him. He who says he abides in Him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. See, it all goes hand in hand, folks. That's why it's, it's very dangerous to cherry pick. We talk about proof texting. People come up with a certain belief or theory, and then they find verses that back it up. That's how every cult group gets started, by the way. We can't cherry pick from the Word of God. We have to accept all of it. Paul said to the Ephesian elders, I have not failed to bring to you the entire, the whole counsel of God. It goes hand in hand. To know him is to love him. To love him is to obey him. To obey him is to walk as Jesus walked in the light. To walk as Jesus walked in the light is to love your brother. Can anybody argue with that? You can't have one without the other. The vertical and the horizontal. Our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationship with with others, see what that does? Forms a cross. They go hand in hand. Your relationship with God will be reflected in how you treat those around you. He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. That's why, by the way, if you ever have a hard time understanding, I don't understand. How can this person be so lost, so confused? Why can't they see the truth? The darkness has blinded him. The lost cannot see, recognize, or acknowledge their own sin. And boy, that we see that in the world big time today. Because they can't see, recognize, or acknowledge God. The darkness has blinded them. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, Paul says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Who's the God of this age? Satan has blinded them. And as we talk about going beyond loving our brothers and sisters in Christ and loving our enemies, we need to remind ourselves, they may seem totally whacked out, but we got to remind ourselves, Satan has blinded them. We need to have compassion on them and understanding because I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. They're blind, and God's called us to help bring them into the light. The God of this age is blinded who do not, do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, 
should shine on them. There's a barrier. There's a blockage there. We need to pray that God would open their blinded eyes, open their deaf and ears. I have a couple of people near and dear to me that I pray that for just about every night. God, open their blinded eyes and their deafened ears that they might see and hear the truth. You know what? If we want specific answers, we need to pray specific prayers. I mean, God bless you. I've heard so many times people say, God bless all the missionaries in the world. Well, that's nice. But let's find some specific missionaries to pray for. If we want specific answers, we need to pray specific prayers. God save everybody everywhere. Well, first of all, that ain't going to happen. Because everybody everywhere has a free will. And everybody everywhere ain't going to receive Christ, right? So I encourage, don't pray that everybody everywhere gets saved. Pray for your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, your neighbor, your co-worker. Pray specific prayers if you want specific answers. Because the darkness has blinded him, anyone or anything that exists outside the presence of God... Listen to this. I think this is very important. Anyone or anything that exists outside the presence of God is in a state of darkness and blindness. The presence of God is with us when we are with Him, when we have received Christ, when we've confessed our sins, we've repented, we've been born again, we've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Then the presence of God is with us everywhere we go. And then we're walking in the light as he is in the light. Anyone or anything outside the presence of God is in a state of darkness. Hence, the majority of this world. 1 John 1, 4 and 5. These things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And so I believe when we covered that scripture a few weeks ago, we talked about the fact the more that we are in him and he is in us, the less darkness there will be in our lives. Because in him, there's no darkness at all. Finally, Ephesians 5.8, our challenge. For you were once darkness. Well, listen to that. He doesn't even say you were once in the darkness. He said you were once darkness. Apart from Christ, it, we are in the world and we are not only in darkness, we are darkness. Do you know people that you look at them and you say, man, that is darkness. And again, we shouldn't judge them. We shouldn't hate them. We should have compassion upon them. We should pray for them. But you see the darkness. You were once darkness, but now you are light. How? In the Lord. If you want to be light, if you want to be in the light, if you want to be the light, then you have to be in the Lord. That's been a theme since the beginning of the new year. Have you noticed that? That was our New Year's message. In Him in the new year. Do you remember that? You are the light in the Lord. So what does Paul say? Walk, which means live. That's your, your life, your walk. It's not your run. Notice that? We don't have a run in the Lord. We have a walk in the Lord because it's step by step, isn't it? Remember that old song? Step by step you'll lead me and I will follow you all of my days. It's our walk. I've seen a lot of people hit the ground running and burn out real quick. It's a steady, day by day walk 
And Paul says, walk as children of the light. Let's pray. Father God, a lot of heavy stuff here, but it's good. We need to hear it. We need to know it. We need to be challenged by it. Lord, I wouldn't be surprised if every single one of us in this room, including me, that we're all convicted by how miserably we fall short in terms of loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. And yet, Lord, we have to deal with the truth of your word, that he who hates his brother is in the darkness. Lord, we don't want to be in the darkness. We ask that you would help us to do those things that we need to do to stay in the light. We know we have the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for it. We have your word, but Lord, we need to utilize these tools, this equipment that you've given us to stay on the right track, to keep our hearts right before you. Lord, we want to be the children of the light. You said that we are. And Lord, we know now it's our responsibility to work at becoming who you say we are, and that's a lifetime pursuit. Help us to hang in there, to be strong, to be tough, to endure, to fight the good fight of the faith. And Lord, I hope everyone here today recognizes that it's a lot easier to do that. It's not easy, but it's a lot easier to do that when we work together, when we support one another, when we encourage one another, when we hang together as the family of God, the body of Christ. And Lord, in the last days, we need it more than ever. Help us to finish that race that you've set before us. Thank you, God. Lord, we pray in these closing moments that anyone who needs prayer, ministry, would come forward and receive the ministry of your Holy Spirit this morning, whether it be for encouragement, guidance, direction, strength, salvation. Maybe there's someone here who has not yet been born again and they need to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. I pray that by your Holy Spirit you would draw them this morning, Lord, that no one would leave here with unfinished business with you, God, but we could all make things right here with you today before we leave. That we could leave here filled with joy and peace and righteousness in the Holy Ghost. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.